I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturopedic.com. That's naturopedic.com. Welcome back to Parent Talk, everyone. We're pleased to feature another special episode with our friends Kathy Pomer and Sarah Kofler of Gather Round Consulting, who are national leaders in thinking carefully and helpfully about early care and education centers. And we're going to let them explain the power of that phrase as we turn it over to Susan to talk about the approach to helping kids learn early in childhood. You know, Arthur, the interesting thing about this is that we really didn't plan this when we made this date several months ago, but it turns out that we just finished a two-part podcast on what happens when parents go in for a conference or get called by the teachers or director, and they feel that there's a little mismatch, a miscommunication, that somehow what the teachers or director are saying isn't really relevant to their child's age or developmental level, or even the child's temperament or personality. A very simple example example would be you walk in and they say, you know, we're worried about your three-year-old. He's not writing his name and he doesn't know all his letters. And you're thinking, ding, 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 are three-year-olds supposed to know all their letters and write their name? I'm not sure about that. I think that this is a perfect opportunity to talk to two experts in the field who work intimately with preschools and directors and educators and to see what does a parent do if they're faced with something like that. They get a phone call or they're in a conference. How do they get that communication back on track? Sarah, would you like to chime in on that? This is such an interesting question. If I were that parent going in, hearing something um, that didn't quite sit right with me, the example you gave is a great one. Personally, I have a three-year-old at home who is not writing his name yet. He's not there. And I'm perfectly thrilled that he is happy building his marble mazes and blocks and exploring and know that when the time is right for him, that's what he'll be working on. But I'd be curious to know, how is the school thinking about these kinds of topics? Is there a quality rating system? Are there developmental milestones that the school is looking at? And in the best early care and education settings, that's the term that we're all using now to encompass preschool, daycare, family child care, all of these spaces that are serving young children and their families, the best practices would mean that a school has a set of developmental milestones that they're using. Um, Creative curriculums, teaching strategies, gold is one that we happen to really like. And that shows a large continuum of children from birth through age five and all of the different developmental milestones they could hit in the cognitive area, physical, language, social and emotional, really looking at a child as a whole, I'd want to know what sort of system is the school using to truly know what's developmentally appropriate for young children? And if this is an area that they are having some questions about, what are the other areas that they're looking at as well? We know that children of any age, but I'll use the three-year-old as the example that you had mentioned, that three-year-olds are developing in so many different areas at the same time. What else is the school noticing about my child? What else can I understand about the way that the school is analyzing each child, supporting each child, and helping each child to grow and thrive? That is so helpful, but could you tell us again the name of the program that you recommend? 
Sure. And this is just one one example of many that are out there. There's a company called Creative Curriculum. They have sort of packaged curriculum options that are lovely. And there's a ton of great curriculums out there. What I particularly like is the assessment portion called Teaching Strategies Gold. It works on a continuum from infants through five-year-olds and looks at all of the domains of development in a really holistic way. And it follows the child from their entrance into that infant, toddler, or two-year-old program all the way through up until they head to kindergarten. You know, I would just like to emphasize the word continuum because I think that's something that parents may not be able to visualize. I actually also like creative curriculum and have used it and taught it. And they actually have colors for different age groups. But the wonderful thing about it is that it talks exactly to what you like to talk about, Arthur, averages. When you have an average, if the average age of walking is 13 months, half the children walk before that and 50% walk after it, which means that at that time of the average, 50% of the children are going to be quote unquote delayed. And that is what I think the continuum of the creative curriculum takes in. The idea is, is that yes, some three-year-olds are writing their name, but there are some children, you could be four, four and a half, even five before you really start writing your name. And that would still be within the parameters of what we consider a typically developing child. Right. Oh, such a good point. It needs to be a continuum and it needs to be holistic. You know, the This conversation really inspires me to almost rethink a question I've had all these years about early care and education centers and and schools too. There's a certain stance as a pediatrician that I've come to sort of expect that these programs are on the lookout, that one of their big jobs is to catch someone in trouble. And of course, that's an important function. But you know, you think about young children with their parents. Parents don't see as their main purpose finding out if something's wrong. Their main purpose is to love and play with their child. And they do that all day long. And then if something happens that raises a flag, sure, they'll call for help and hit the alarm bell. But in many ways, our schools have transformed into places where the community expects them to be constantly in alarm mode. In other words, looking for trouble. And I really love that phrase continuum because it returns us back to the idea that you're there to learn together, to play together, to care for each other. You know, if trouble shows up, fine. You know, of course, we watch for it. That's not the main point. I have an almost two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter in an early care and education center, and it's a lovely place, and I can tell you it's a lovely place because every time I see pictures of her there or a summary of the day's events, it is a playful place. In other words, they're not spending a lot of time talking about who's triggered an alarm and what they do about situations like that. So I really appreciate the level of this conversation. It brings me back to the important piece of what goes on, which is having a good day with your child, helping them have a great time and learn together. I love that, Arthur. And and it sounds like your granddaughter's school is, is so lovely and wonderful. And I think those reminders of what is at the core in an early care and education setting is, is so important. And I think that's really a reason why having an understanding of how a school is looking at a child developmentally is so important. Yes, to your point, it might help us know if there's something going on that we need to gather more information about to provide better support for a family member. But I think it also really gives us the tools to simply understand a child better, to know who they are, to know what really speaks to them, to know what interests them, to know how we can best support them on the next stages in their journey. What a wonderful opportunity, as you said, as parents, our job to to love our children, to support our children, and to help them grow, and to help them succeed, and to help them thrive. And by gathering information from all of the thought partners out there who are supporting our children is a wonderful thing. So I am just such a supporter for really schools and families taking the time to really understand 
individual children and to partner to be able to support those individual children. And I think tools such as Teaching Strategies Gold or other developmental milestone scales that are out there or other forms of documentation, which is how we refer to note-taking or taking photos and really capturing a sense of what's happening in the day at school, that information can help us um, support each child in really powerful ways. You know, yesterday I, I was just telling um, Arthur, I was baking cookies for a holiday event. There were young mothers there and we were discussing the fit of a school to a certain child or to a family. And something else came to mind. And that is that there is a higher rate of expulsion of preschool children. It's sort of like exploded. Children are being expelled from preschool. And most of those children are boys, not all of them, but most of them are boys. And Kathy, I can see that you are shaking your head. So I really want to hear what you have to say about that. I'm just knowing that we were able, and you pointed it out to us actually, Arthur, about the uh, the new statement that came out. Maybe you want to speak to that first, that that was was something that I think the Academy of Pediatrics was really spending a long time thinking about as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for referencing that. That of is course. big news, actually. So an epidemic, really, a tragic epidemic, if you can believe it, young children being kicked out, expelled from early care and education centers, from preschools, from daycare centers. And Susan, when you led the uh, magnificent preschool program in Cleveland, we never heard of anything like that. But now it's going on all over the place. And I'm very proud of the fact that a committee I chaired at the American Academy of Pediatrics worked six years on a major policy paper on this issue and just came out in the October issue of Pediatrics. Oh, there it is. Thank you for showing that. And it's a major statement. It goes over what's going on, who's mostly affected, what needs to be done to stop it. But I think the real point I want to make here is that this is something that needs to stop. I'm so glad you feature this here today because it's great to hear that at the national level for people helping guide early care and education centers in their work, that this is something that you all care about. The moment that you sent this out to us, I was so thrilled to see this. And I think it talks a lot about some things we've even covered in some of the other podcasts you've been kind enough to invite us to. I'm referring to this place here where it talks about structural factors associated with childcare and early education expulsion include larger class size with lack of space and structure, longer school day, higher child to teacher ratios, teacher job stress low staff wages and poor morale, all of these kinds of things are making it so that the classrooms themselves are not built in a structure that is really lifting up children, seeing children, hearing children. It really ends up having many more children to a class than we think is optimal, having many fewer teachers trained in this way. And it's just a setup, not for let's build a network that supports children and lets them do their best work with all that support. But what's going to work here has a rigid line and not a continuum at all. And if you pass that line, this is not the place for you. It's such a setup for failure. What it makes me think that parents could be looking for when they find a center is a center that really, truly has already thought about such things thinks about continuums more than just rigid lines, and also is part of a network of care that when something happens or when there's a question, educators, leadership, and some community members that might be actual specialists come in to take this on as a community, to be there, to observe, to have conversations, and talk about what is best for that child and not just what's going to work because of the limitations of that classroom. 
some of these communities, I will call them communities of care and education, should really have on site or nearby people that are specialists in so many different areas so that parents are already hooked up with people who could support and care for them. And when you walk in to check out a school, they'll say, when those things happen, and you're right, Arthur, nobody goes in expecting trouble, but when those things happen and you need more care and support, here are the ways we've already built a network to be there for you. And here are the specialists that work with us every day in our classrooms, maybe, or certainly as referrals that we already work very closely with. I think that you'll know right away in your conversations, whether somebody has a good answer for who their backup is and how they support each other, or they will just say, this is not allowed in our school, or if you are doing it this way, that is not allowed in our school. Those That kind of language with those rigid expectations lead to more expulsions. And that's something that you should have your, your head ready for when you go into a space, knowing whether they're going to be a community that really cares for you and whether they can. As we're talking about this, I'm wondering if I was bringing a toddler to a, a program, would it be fair to ask how many expulsions have you had in the last year? Absolutely. I think expulsions are something we are all talking about because it doesn't really fit in with the way we think about these things. And at the same time, we also have a lot of schools erring on the other side and saying, I guess we really care about accepting everyone. However, we don't have any of the supports for them. And truly, let's just talk about that for a moment. If you have a child that's really not found that place yet because of expulsions, because of lack of resources, we are finding families that are willing to take a whole lot of bad news about a school just because they will accept their child. And it isn't optimal for that child, but it means there's a place to go because let's also think Families need the support. Families might need to go to work. They need to have some place to put their child. They're hoping it's the best, but there's not a lot to choose from out there right now. That would definitely be one of the questions, Arthur. It just wouldn't be the only question. I just want to add in a quick note there, um, and it differs from state to state, as we've talked about on prior podcasts. Different states have different regulating bodies. It might be the Department of Health. It might be Department of Children and Families. But in many states, there is actually a requirement to have an expulsion policy in a school's handbook. And Arthur, I'm so curious if this new study that came out might impact some of those statements that exist and differ from state to state. I think getting your hands on a copy of a handbook for each individual school will say so much about who the school is, how they carry themselves, and what are the policies that exist, and how are they carried out in practice in the school community. You mentioned the the handbook and the regulating bodies in each state. And since I've lived in a couple of states, and as my one job was a consultant going throughout the country, I know that each state can be quite different. And some states, like Ohio, has something called Step Up to Quality, which really has been a boon to early care and education centers in Ohio, because at first it was a voluntary star system. Now it's required. A parent can go in there and they can see they only have one star, which means that they are basically meeting the barest requirements that Ohio has. If you're the maximum stars, you know that they're exceeding by a, quite a bit. It exceeds teacher-child ratios, but it's not just ratios. It's also things like teacher training so that you know that the teachers in your child's classroom, if you're in a four or five stars, if they don't have a BS or an M 
MA in that field. They have multiple hours of training in professional development and not just in anything, but in very specific topics. And some of those topics are, you know, how do you deal with children who are struggling with aggression or whatever issue it is that gets a child expelled? I think aggression is probably the leader there, but I'm sure that there are other things as well. I love that in Ohio. Not every state has it. But of course, if they happen to be certified by NAEYC, that's the National Association for the Education of Young Children, that would be something very equivalent. I think that these are things that parents really need to go into. I know that location and hours and uh, the fees I mean, that has to be something that's doable for the parents. But I really think those questions, they are worth asking. They're hard questions because you may not like the answers, but it's worth doing as much research as you can because these years, you're not going to get them back. And I would hate to think of a two or three-year-old child starting off their life career, you know, their life, feeling that they're being rejected and expelled because most likely it's just a developmental stage that child is in. And I I would say that very often some of these behaviors are actually created by the classroom that the child is in. Overcrowded, untrained or poorly trained teachers, very little support from the community or even directors. And so people are floundering. And when when adults are floundering, I can tell you that a two-year-old isn't going to be far behind. Absolutely. Finding the school that has time to think about those rating scales and actually back it up with a beautiful high quality center. Those those centers will, will be so happy that you asked. They'll have lots to share with you about ways that they really stand up to quality. Can I bring in one of my favorite topics? Because we're talking about questions. I was thinking about policies about separation because when I would see aggression in toddler rooms, invariably there was no separation process. The parent was asked to leave. Sometimes they were asked to sneak out. (laughs) Your child's engaged. And this is really happening today in real time. And the child is left feeling almost abandoned and like his foundation or her foundation has just been swept away. And I will tell you that they'll say, but he didn't cry when the parent left. I can't tell you how many children I know who didn't cry when their parent left. But then when you look at their behavior in the classroom, you can see a terrified child. And how does a terrified two-year-old or three-year-old show that they're terrified? They become very aggressive. I'll just add to that question an amazement. I'm not in early care and education centers during the day. My assumption from a distance is that most aggression was, you know, sort of personality. This child tends to be a little more aggressive. That child tends not to be. But to hear that it's mostly happening in reaction to a bad separation experience, that is really a powerful observation, Susan. I can't give a percentage. I never did a research paper on it. I wish I had now. But I will tell you that when we would go back and redo separation where parents left a little too soon and bring a parent back in, the child's complete personality literally turned upside down and turned around. It was unbelievable. So I have to believe that my experiences are not unique, that many, many children react in a very aggressive way when they don't feel safe in their classroom. And a slow and a thoughtful separation process allows a child to build trust and a feeling of safety with these strange adults that are in their room. I think with separation, it's so interesting. I think it it is something that 
yes, we need to be paying attention to holistically that we want to hear what is the school's philosophy on the separation process and how are they being supported and to know that every child is going to need something different and separation is going to look different for different children and different families. It's why I think it's so great when before the school year even begins for a parent and an educator to have the time to really talk to one another to think about what this could look like. I I have two young children who both responded to separation in very different ways. My daughter who would like for me to stay and look around her classroom. She wants to show me everything. Maybe you can leave now, mom. Maybe I'm not quite ready yet. And my son who now picks a number in the morning that he counts up to, and then he tells me to leave. Today, I think it was seven. Mom, I'm counting to seven and then go to work. Different children need different things. And I think what's most important In addition to, yes, having an understanding of how the school might philosophically think about the separation process is to know that every child and every family can be supported for what their individual needs are. I just have to say this, Sarah. Yes, both your children have different needs for you to leave. But guess what? They both have needs. I mean, any child that has an attachment to a parent is going to need some sort of a segue, some sort of strategy to help them feel comfortable in a classroom. I I can't say that enough times. It is so true (laughs) and so important to recognize that even in those moments where it might feel like it's the quickest goodbye, that goodbye is still there. And that's what's important is that for whatever that child needs, that there is an opportunity for those needs to be met to transition from the home part of the day into the school part of the day. And that all the stakeholders, all of the members of the community, the child first and foremost, their family and their educators in the school are supporting that opportunity in those moments. You know, Sarah, I just have to say in in practice, I can't tell you how many times parents have said to me that the story that teacher gives from the early care and education center is, yes, they cried when you left. But a second after you were gone, they stopped crying. This is a big deal, actually, what we're talking about, because the message parents are getting out there is don't bother us with your concerns about separation. You're overblowing the issue. And we're not interested in overblowing the issue. We're just saying kids actually deserve the respect to say, yeah, let's let's manage this a little so that they have a nice transition. They don't have to act out during their time at school. Well, Arthur, I can tell you from your last comment, we need to do an entire podcast on separation again, because Ah, I have many comments about what you just said. (laughs) But but I have to say, I can't believe how quickly the time has gone. We have gone to a close. And I would just like to thank again, Kathy and Sarah. And would you like to tell our listeners again about your website, if they'd like to visit your website? Absolutely. Absolutely. Please come visit us for uh, any reason at all. Gatheroundconsulting.com. We are here to have conversations, whether you are in families, whether you are educators, whoever out there wants to dive into these conversations even more. We would love to be there and we would love to see you. And thank you so much for this opportunity, Arthur and Susan. We just really love having these chats with you. Kathy and Sarah, we're very grateful here at Parent Talk for Gather Around Consulting joining us again. And I guess one of the great takeaways is that, yes, for parents and children, relationship is everything. That's true in early care and education centers with their schooling as well. You can find out what sort of relationship your child's going to have there around these issues of separation, around expectations, around development. It's the key to everything. So thank you so much for bringing this message to our listeners again. Thanks so much. Our pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. 
And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.